Commander Shepard has been recovered. The Lazarus Project will proceed as well. Welcome to the Lazarus Project podcast. This is episode 11, a Mass Effect podcast discussing its characters, lore, theory, and opinion. The podcast is recorded live in the Ploppy54 gaming Discord server. Come join us there to listen to the raw, unedited version. All the details you need can be found in the show notes. My name is Craig, and joining me today is Manning. Hello, everyone. And Tim. Hello. In this episode, we will be doing another character profile, similarly to how we did it with Anderson. In this episode, we will be talking about Joker and our thoughts of him throughout the trilogy, thoughts of him for potentially in the future, and just generally giving our thoughts on him. But first, it's the news. Welcome to Citadel Newsnet. I'm Emily Wong. All right, everyone. So to start us off today, the only real quote-unquote big news we have at the time of this recording was that Mark Dara recently returned as a quote consultant for Dragon Age Dreadwolf. So what do you guys, do you have any speculation? What do you think it means? Is it a good sign? Is it a bad sign? What do you think? Definitely a good sign. I mean the guy knows Dragon Age like the back of his hand. He did the, he was like the the lead project director for Origins and 2. So to bring him back, and he worked on Inquisition as well. I don't think he was the executive producer for that one, though. But yeah, I mean, he he knows everything to know about Dragon Age. For him coming back to see the last of the last stages of Dragon Age Dreadwolf can only be a good thing, I think. I think the game's doomed. <laughs> <laughs> He's involved now. We're all screwed. I was going to say, I mean... Obviously, I love him as a creator and everything he does. But at the same time, do you think it reeks a little bit of desperation to like, oh my God, what's this mess we've created? Let's quick, someone go find someone to come back and help us fix this kind of thing. Like what Disney did when they brought Jar Jar Abrams back for episode nine of Star Wars. I think in 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 the video he made, he said that he asked them if yeah. if they needed any help, so he they didn't ask him. He just kind of offered his help. And where at, at this stage now, Dragon Age, it's it's in al- the alpha stage, or it's just completed alpha stage. I I know they've definitely said it's playable start to finish. So really, all it's going to be is is polishing and tweaking and bug fixing and law writing and codex entries and all that jazz, isn't it? Yeah, I think his main, personally, I think his main involvement will just be to the extent of like UI improvements to kind of make it feel like Dragon Age or lore improvements just for consistency. Yeah. Do you feel like, because again, like Tim mentioned, he had slightly less of a role in Inquisition. Do you think him being on board again now would be trying to bring the the game back to like how... The first two Dragon Ages were because, like, all three are amazing, but Inquisition was like vastly different from what the first two were. Well, when I spoke to him, he said that Inquisition is what they wanted Origins to be, as as close as to their original vision for Origins than Origins was. 
just the open world aspect? I guess so. Yeah, can't exactly remember what he said, but yeah, he said that um, although Origins and everyone loves Origins more so than than uh, Dragon Age Two, probably even Dragon Age Three, but that he said the Inquisition is what they were aiming for when they were making Origins. If that makes sense. I do think it's very interesting, though, that there are some Dragon Age is like so different between games that there are some people. A few I'm friends with who who really like Inquisition, but they really struggle getting through Origins. And then there are some some like us, obviously, who like really like Origins, and you know, Inquisition's kind of almost too different. But well, I would just personally say Origins is a classic, story rich. I mean, I guess you could argue the combat's maybe a little light, but it's an amazing, like quote unquote, traditional RPG. Two is also that, although I wish the world was bigger and you could eventually leave Kirkwall. But I mean, like, don't get me wrong, I love Inquisition, but it's basically Skyrim. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know what it is about Origins that so many people don't like. I don't I don't think it's as simple as the combat's slow. I mean the combat is slow. But I think one of the per- one of the people I'm friends with said she didn't really understand the story, which confused me to be honest, because it's not really a complicated story. But do you think it's just because it's dated? I mean, like, I know people who flat out refuse to watch black and white movies, and Dragon Age Origins definitely shows its age, even though it's not even yeah. technically really that old. Yeah, it's not aged well, though, is it? Have you ever played the original, the 2007 version of Mass Effect 1 recently? Like, yes, it's slow and clunky, and it's definitely not fluid or anything, but I mean, like, it's not like it's objectively bad, it's just it was a product of its time. Do you think you guys would have preferred Dragon Age Origins to be open world, or do you think it's great as it is for sort of being linear, I suppose? No, I, I prefer it the way it is. In a way, I mean, like, it's not a true quote-unquote open world game, but I mean, like, you can still do the story however you want. It's not like you have to go to Orzammar, then you go to Lake Callahan, then you go to the Brazilian Forest. I mean, you can still... I guess you'd call it partially open world because you can still go wherever you want, basically whenever you want. Going back to uh, Dreadwolf, I'm curious to know what you think, uh, Manning, because me and Tim were saying about you know the whole um, dispute or argument between uh, the Cullen voice actor and and Mark Dara, and just kind of how you know if Cullen was even going to have involvement in Dreadwolf, do you think this kind of cements him not being in it? I honestly, maybe I missed or I fell asleep that day, but I honestly was not aware of any dispute between the two. Was it like serious or did someone just like spill coffee on someone? Oh, no, no, it was serious. Basic, basically, there was an article that Regalis uh, pointed out saying, Dara forced out good riddance and a relief for many others. I've worked with you for over 10 years as the voice of Cullen and has have never worked with a more disloyal, dull-pititious... Duplicate, duplicitous, corporate Okay, your enforced resignation is a victory for Bioware, its employees, and particularly the fans. And Mark Dara said, "Hey there, Greg. I've been letting you slide for a while, but I think Dragon Age Day is what is maybe the day where that ends." And he says, "Is there some world where you imagine that your behaviour with regards to me and the community in general would actually cause you to ever be hired on a Dragon Age game?" 
I'm not sure if this is performative in any way in order to get the attention on a different group, but it certainly isn't going to endear you to a company that cares about its public appearance. I'm sure they can find a way to like have him die off screen or something. I mean, like again, he was a big part of Inquisition, but he also mm. was easily. I mean, like he's, he was just like what a mil, I think military advisor. I mean, you could write that off pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, if it's a new protagonist as well, but but at the same time, you still kind of got to acknowledge the Inquisition, don't you? Anyway, Mark Dara, it can only be a good sign that he's coming back, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, having someone on board that that knows the series inside and out, because it is, I think, isn't it? It mostly all new people that are making it. Yeah, like half the studio left. And I will say, if it's true that he asked to come back, then I think it's a good sign and it's all to the good. But if they asked him to come back, then I might be a little bit worried. I haven't. Did you you guys see the leaks? I think it had gone out to. Um, test audiences or like gameplay testers and one of them had, had recorded the the footage and leaked it and apparently it looks a lot like a lot more dark soulsy in combat well, that's not necessarily a bad thing i quite like all the from soft games but i haven't i haven't seen it does that mean you're not going to play it if it actually turns out to be as difficult as like elden ring or sekiro or dark souls <laughs> that's just what i was going to say i'm not going to bother if it just ends up being <laughs> Dark Souls difficulty. Have you made peace with the fact that the Warden's basically just gone now, Tim? Or would you like a callback in any way to your your Warden from Origins in the new game? And what, or if you would, what way would you want them to do it? I I I would like to see some conclusion to my Warden. Um, because the only way you can get closure with the Warden is if you have him killed at the end of Origins. But if you do that, you can't then import your save into Awakenings, which frustrates me. So you you have to keep your Warden alive if you want your world state to be imported into Awakenings. But if you do that, then you don't really get a satisfying ending you could always do what like what i do and get morgan pregnant and then leave through the portal with her that's a pretty good closure to that story you don't have to romance her to have the baby there no but romancing her is better anyway she's the best <laughs> here here's controversial opinion morgan is the best romance in any bioware game the romances were so much better done in dragon age that's another thing, actually, as well, is if Mark Dara is involved, maybe they will lean into that nostalgia a little bit more if they've got somebody who's, you know, a bit more of a veteran. Watch the protagonist of Dreadwolf not have a voice. <laughs> it would be quite cool if you could just have your protagonist to be the Grey Warden, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just it frustrates me that in Dragon Age 2, they were looking for him, and they know that he'd, he'd gone off to find the cure to the calling. And that's why they couldn't find him. Or her, I suppose. But Well, I think then... that's more so to do just with the fact that the three choices you make at the end of Origins all have, are very, very different. It's not like subtle variations of the same thing. So it almost was easier in two to just be like, oh, the Warden's gone. And then in Inquisition, it can be a case of either... Yeah, he's a stay-at-home dad with Morrigan and looks after 
you know, he's a good father and stuff, or he's still out there in wandering somewhere. I didn't mind that, to be honest. I, I kind of knew that they'd written themselves into a corner when, you know, they made uh, characters voiced, when, mm. when they made the main character voiced. So, you know, and also if you do see him in person, how are they going to do that? They can't just add a voice and have you believe that that's still the warden. <laughs> how did they do it in Mass Effect 2? I mean, like, if you manage to get Shepard killed, can you then not import that game into Mass Effect 3? No. You can't do it. Yeah, you can't play it as somebody you, else. You'll get the ending. you get Joker be the one that reports to the elusive man. No, no, I, I've seen that cutscene. I've just never personally done it, so I wasn't sure if yeah. just, like, the game ended and the, or, and then, or if they made, like, here's a new Shepard, but who yeah. looks and sounds exactly like the old Shepard. I mean, if you wanted to roleplay it that way, you could. But you'd have to create a separate save. You can't import it. I mean, like, I guess that makes sense. But it would be kind of cool if you could import everything, but then just make a new character who's just voiced by Jennifer Hale or Mark Mayer. But whatever. Oh, yes, the Shepard clone. <laughs> yeah, that's, you play as his or, his or her clone in the third game. Hanging in space with a jazz trio. Now coming with the bass. Well, his first canonical appearance is in a webcomic. Have you guys read that? It's... I've seen some of the images, but I've never properly read it. It's a He Who Laughs. Laughs last or laughs best or something, isn't it? Yeah, he who laughs best. Yeah, it's very short. It's very cool that it appears in the um, complete comic collection, though. On one of the games? No, no. If you get the they they released, I think it was recently before Legendary Edition. They released a complete comic collection, and the web comic of Joker is actually in there. Oh, that's good. Yeah, if you go on Amazon. Like the book looks like it weighs fifty pounds, but it's legitimately everything ever. It is. It is pretty heavy, to be honest. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. I need to read it again at some point, but it's a lot of comics. <laughs> when so did the web comic come out before Mass Effect One? No, no, I think it came out at either after the end of Mass Effect Two or before Mass Effect Two. I think it was probably before Mass Effect Two. Yeah, yeah I can't remember it exactly, but it was a couple of years. In He Who Laughs Best, Joker basically steals the Normandy, takes it for a bit of a joyride uh, in order to get the job as the pilot. Is that why Anderson almost court-martialed him, but then was like, oh my god, you're so good, I'm going to sweep it under the rug just this yeah. once? Exactly. That's exactly it. He, uh, Because of his illness which uh, Craig is going to name because I kept getting Rolling syndrome. That's it. It's not, it's not Rolex. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, because of his illness, he gets passed over for promotion and job opportunities and nobody really wants him on their ship. And yet he is the, on paper, he is the best pilot in the Alliance. And so when... The Normandy is the 
flagship going to be the flagship of the alliance. It's built with Turian and human coll- uh, collaboration. That's the right word I was looking for. He wanted to be the pilot, and the only way he figured that he would uh, get a chance would be to to get behind the get into the cockpit and show him what he could do, rather than than try and do it the the proper way and get thanks but no thanks again. So yeah, he does that, takes it out for a spin, almost gets court-martialed, and then Captain Anderson goes, actually, yeah, dude, I want him to be the pilot. So that's how I become the pilot of the Normandy. It's a little bit off on a tangent, but did that comic ever specifically say why the Normandy was an Alliance ship? Because I know it was like 50-50 between the Alliance and the Turians, and it looks nothing like any other Turian ship in any other games. Um, I think it was mostly like a human ship, but it was, but the Turians helped with it. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's supposedly such a great ship, then it's got to have an edge that, you know, a, a better, further along spacefaring species has got to contribute, haven't they? I mean, that makes sense. But I, I, I do think that that comic and also just other moments of Joker in general, just they speak to how he, he tries so hard to prove himself despite having Verlux syndrome. Like it's one of like his, to me, it's one of his strongest character traits is the fact that, you know, he's so eager to prove himself. He's like, he's not an, he's just, you, you forget he's an underdog at all. I don't even think you would consider him one because he, he doesn't let that get in the way of who he is and what he does. Can I just say, I agree with almost everything you said. But I find I always found it personally mildly amusing that like I love Joker to death, and anyone who listened to me talk about Andromeda knows that I also love Liam, and in a lot of ways, obviously Liam doesn't have Rolex syndrome, but in a lot of ways, I feel like just personality, sense of humor, character-wise, Liam and Joker are in a lot of ways the same person. So I always find it weird how literally everybody loves Joker, but like no one likes Liam. I just don't really feel like Liam's as funny as Joker. But anyway, that was just the random tangent. We can get back to talking about Joker now. <laughs> I, I I really I really like that comic, and I think it, as I said, it just it speaks to who he is, and you know, he's he's really that kind of bend the rules kind of kind of guy that you know he shows throughout the trilogy. It's not really much. I, I don't know what else to say <laughs> about the comic, to be honest. Uh, well, I suppose not really much to say. I mean, it's, it's it's quite small, isn't it? Um, it's designed really just to give you a bit of an introduction of, of how he became the pilot. I think personally it's a little silly that he could get away with, with doing that and then be given the job and not court-martialed. Their brand-new, expensive, state-of-the-art frigate scout ship, and he just takes it for a joyride and go and they go oh yeah all right then yeah you can have the job well i mean i guess there's something to say for seizing an opportunity i guess i mean like i understand why he was almost court-martialed but i also understand why anderson simultaneously wanted him to be the pilot because you can only really assume that it was the verlick syndrome that was the reason he wasn't chosen because he had clearly proven himself and had the qualifications and and everything and to be honest, if that is the only thing that got in his way, that's kind of sad, and I would understand why he would bend the rules to try and prove himself at this opportunity. 
Well, to be fair, I think that's just like a real world thing, whether it's illness or perceived ineffectiveness or whatever. I mean, like, I feel like almost everyone has gone through that at some point in their life where they're like, I know I'm qualified for this job, but I'm not going to get it. Yeah, I suppose you've got to do drastic, drastic time, drastic measures. Mm. I mean, it's like the dream opportunity for him. It felt like, I think he felt like that was something he was supposed to do. And, you know, if anyone was going to pilot that ship, it had to be him. I mean, like, it would be interesting if we ever had a lawyer on to actually ask them, like, what would actually happen? Like, say, if someone had stolen a Concorde back in the day, just to prove that they were the best pilot, like, what actually would have happened? <laughs> mm. I feel like the only reason Anderson wasn't court-martialed, not Anderson, sorry, the only reason Joker wasn't court-martialed was because of Anderson. Like, I feel like Anderson covered for him there enough to protect him from that. Yeah. Yeah, because it was Anderson and somebody else, wasn't there, in the comic? I think yeah. it was the other comic, the other guy that that was pushing for the uh, for the court martial. There you go, Manning. Anderson did something good. Yay! In Mass Effect 1, do you guys remember how you first felt about him? Your first impressions, I guess? Well, it's quite nice. I mean, I know it's jumping ahead a bit, but he's the first character that you you meet, if I remember correctly, and the last character. Yeah, like he bookends the game, the series, doesn't he? So although you follow Shepard through, through the ship, it's actually Joker that... Do you know what? I never thought of it that way. That is really crazy, isn't it? He speaks first, and uh, yeah, he's he's the last one to. I think in all endings, doesn't he? He gets out of the ship, whether it's whether the ED is with him or not. I will say I loved him almost instantly, and I will admit that a small portion portion of that is just because he was voiced by Seth Green. But I loved his character and just how he interacted. But especially in the first game, I don't know. Am I the only one who is a little disappointed that after the first cutscene, Caden's not in the cockpit? cockpit with him anymore because like the way they were kind of like playfully arguing with each other right before Vernus came in almost made me I was like oh I can't wait to have a whole game of this and then it's actually only the first cutscene and then Caden goes downstairs yeah I mean they're uh, they're little the banter and that you can tell straight away when Joker's like I just hit the something like I just jumped halfway across the galaxy and hit a pinpoint or something you remember to zip up your jumpsuit on the way out of the bathroom? That's good. I just jumped us halfway across the galaxy and hit a target the size of a pinhead. So and you that's said incredible. that's good. You know, going to the toilet and not catching your thing in your zipper. That's good. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of get the straight away, you know what you're in for with him, don't you? Yeah, he's got the, like he follows rules and he's a professional, but he also bends rules and he's not afraid to talk back. I, I think he's he comes across as like Han Solo-ish as well. You know, he's got the confidence, and he's got he's got the ego, and he's got the talent of flying a fast ship. 
Yeah, well, it's like he even says, he's like, I'm not good. I'm not even great. I am the best. And like, when you know you're the best, you're going to, you're bound to be a little bit arrogant or cocky. Yeah, I do. I do think he's, he's got enough of a backstory there, though. Like, he doesn't give you much in the first game. But like, when he does tell you about like his experience in uh, flight school and you know, he just worked really hard. He didn't he didn't have many friends or whatever, but he worked really hard and someone made fun of him and called him Joker because he never smiled. I think it, it does kind of just show that, you know, he, he he doesn't have a perfect life, but like you know, he's he's like that nerdy kid that just tried really hard and nobody really wanted to be friends with. But like he got what yep. he wanted in the end, kind of thing. But he earned everything he got. He wasn't handed anything. Yeah. Also, is it weird to say, but before I found out that him and Shepard are only a year apart, am I, is it weird to say that the first time I played, I would have bet you money that he was 10 years younger than Shepard? Yeah, I mean, it's a little tricky to to tell him, especially with like the, the Legendary Edition changing like people's hairstyles and like de-aging people as well. It it's yeah, I, I, I would have thought he was much younger than Shepard. But then I didn't realise Shepard was that young. I thought Shepard was older. So Yeah, I'm just saying like in the first game Shepard's twenty nine and Joker's twenty eight. So maybe not ten years, but definitely more than just one year. Yeah, I always thought it was a bit confusing with Shepard because you know, Shepard's got quite well, you obviously choose Shepard's history and Shepard's recent history and it kind of gives you a an impression that they must be like in their 30s or something doesn't it i don't know how old shepherd actually is 29 in the first game 31 in the second and 33 in the third oh okay dead in the fourth <laughs> or if you do the right thing and pick a control ending then shepherd's an omnipresent deity but i'm just saying joker comes across as a little frat boyish for lack of a better term and he doesn't strike me as someone who I would expect to be almost 30. How did you just, besides the intro, I guess, like, did, how did you feel about him just sort of throughout the first game? I thought he had a lot of emotional depth. Because, I mean, yes, for the most part, he'll often be silly and quick-witted and crack a joke. But a lot of times... Maybe I'm way off on this, but I got the feeling that like he was like he understood the gravitas of the situations there that you were in, but he used like humor as like a coping mechanism, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, he he's yeah, he certainly doesn't he doesn't open up about how how he really feels until Mass Effect Three. Like, I think it's only in Mass Effect Three where you realize that he is using it as a as a coping mechanism. Well, I will say what probably one of my favorite lines in Mass Effect 1 is after the mission on Vermeer, obviously Shepard's kind of down because either Caden or Ashley just died. And after that mission, when Joker asks if you want to call the council, there's an option for Shepard to just say, why bother? And then Joker in like, I think that's one of the only moments, at least in the first game, where he says something like, yeah, you're right. Like, Sovereign will be sitting on the council's heads before they even try to do anything or get off their asses or whatever. And you can even tell, even that's like the only time I can think of, at least in the first game, where he's not like happy and chipper. And you can actually tell he's kind of solemn. 
Mm. I still think it was a massive mistake that he couldn't tell him about the sister. Sorry, it's jumping ahead again, though. Isn't oh, it? yeah, that's in the third game. But yeah, that was beyond messed up. Although, to be fair, once you uh, once you deal with that Asari, how many people really actually knew that that was Joker's sister that she killed? True. Mm. Although Mass Effect does pull that out to a lesser degree. They do that a couple times. It's like in the third game, I forget her name, but there's an engineer in the hallway of the docking bay that you walk by like 500 times. And if you read all the journal entries, you can find out that you killed her brother because she mentions that she wants, she's requesting a reassignment because she doesn't want to fight Cerberus because her brother's in Cerberus. And then when you do the mission on Sanctum, you find out that one of the soldiers you killed was her brother. I mean, like it's stuff like that, like super duper minor things that 99% of people probably don't even realize, but that's what makes the games, I just, for lack of a better word, more real. Yeah. To go back to Joker a little bit, it, it, it does, it does feel very much like his character fits perfectly for the story as well. And like, you know, like when they when they escape when 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 they leave dry dock or something, when they've been grounded, it felt like his character was chosen, like a rebellious pilot was chosen for that moment to, you know, be the one who's like, right, we're not we're gonna we're gonna ignore him, we're gonna get out of here kind of thing. Do you think it would have felt out of place, speaking specifically about that scene, had Joker been a lot more, you know, straight laced and by the books? Do you think he would have refused to quote unquote steal the Normandy a second time when you are trying to leave Drydock, or do you think he would have done it anyway? I think there are some characters that are just loyal enough to Shepard to do it anyway. But I think it makes way more sense if he's just along with it and just more fun. Like I just think some people might question it if he just went along and he was by the book. But because we know he's not, everyone's on board with it, and everyone understands why he's doing it. I will say, I think, yeah, you probably just hit the nail on the head. Um, it's like, do you ever, after you do that and steal the Normandy, do you ever walk around the ship to talk to everyone, or do you just go straight to Ilos? I think I usually go straight to Ilos. Because everyone on the ship has unique dialogue about, oh, we're like renegades and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But I'm brain farting on his name, but the guy who stands in the middle of the CIC that you you mentioned on your list of least favorite characters that you hate and you often forget he exists, he like goes off on like this like schoolboy rant about how excited he is to be a criminal and stealing a ship to go off to somewhere where no one's ever been kind of thing. Do you mean, do you mean Presley? Yes, it was Presley. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's not that I hated him. It was just incredibly pointless. <laughs> Does Joker have many offhand comments in Mass Effect 1? Not really. Not a whole lot. He definitely has a bunch in 2 and 3, but almost nothing in 1, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, you can speak to him about his past. And I think if you go after every main mission, he has something slightly different to say, if I remember correctly. He does have one unique dialogue line for each of the four main planets. Yeah, but beyond that, it's just the same recycled stuff you've heard a million times. And you do kind of hear him in the in the little team meetings, I guess, over the intercom. Yeah, 
he has the there's a couple of couple of lines there as well, isn't there? Where he asks he says that he you know, you can patch through the the council and then if you keep cutting him off I think he he gets towards the end of that and he's like, You just want me to cut him off again. I think the best interaction in the entire game is if you bring Rex as one of your squad mates to Therum when you're rescuing Liara, at the end when the thing is collapsing, Joker's like ETA eight minutes, and Rex is like, if I die in here, I'll kill him. <laughs> and I do like his uh, reaction to Hackett as well. If you've been doing like the side quests, you do so many. I don't quite know how if it just triggers on a certain one or you have to do so many, but it eventually turns around and goes, oh, look, it's uh, the Alliance again. And guess what? They need your help again. I think and that, that fits perfectly with this character, just, again, somewhat rebellious and kind of snarky. And, like, I get the feeling like that he respects Hackett, but he also enjoys talking back to him at the same time. I think he's also just kind of the... um look to the camera kind of guy as well like it felt almost like he was joking to the player like look the player character is needed because no one else can do it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean like that's there's a reason that's a cliche though yeah it's like have you seen the meme of there's just like a cat outside on like a street and it's like kind of half under a bridge, but where it's sitting, the sun is hitting it. But like where the sun is hitting it is the only light you can see because it's under a bridge. And then it just says, if video games have taught me anything, this cat has a side quest to offer me. Maybe it's a demon cat. Could be, especially in The Witcher. I had this written down, so it would kill me if I didn't mention it now. Um... <laughs> You know, he, he said about like the irony of um, getting his name for like never smiling. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of it's kind of strange how he sort of grows into that name. Like, it's, it seems like if he was so serious during his training years, it's almost like he's become a Joker because of that nickname he was given. I mean, yeah, I guess, and especially like you say in the second game. And to a bit in the third, but mostly the second game. Like, half the fun of walking around the ship is just periodically, not even talking to him, but just walking into the cabin, just because sometimes you'll just have off-the-cuff remarks that are amazing. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I didn't really care much about him in the first game. It's like when when you go into like the second game, that's when I started to... Even then, actually, I think it wasn't until the third game, on when I did my first full playthrough, but two or three, I think, is when he actually starts to shine. Since you started with the third game first, when you went back to eventually do one and two, did you were did anything surprise you, or did you more or less think he was the same character he was in the third game? I don't think, because a lot of his conversations are optional. A lot of his more interesting ones are optional, I think. Um, like you'd be surprised how much of it is optional. Even in my first full playthrough, I didn't talk to him enough. And it was only when I started religiously playing Mass Effect 2 where I started catching a lot more and started to care about him a lot more. I will say, I think, like, building off the point you made about him being a little rebellious and, like, stealing the Normandy just to get the job kind of thing, I felt like 
I don't know if immature is the right word, but in the first game, he did give off a little bit of that vibe. But then, like, I loved in the second game when you first meet him after you talk to the elusive man, when Shepard's like, I know why I'm here, but how the hell did you end up with Cerberus? And he's like, are you kidding me? The Alliance took locked all the files, sealed everything away. They grounded us, blah, blah, blah. Like, hell yeah, I'll join, I'll join Cerberus. I mean, he just really felt like he came into his own a bit more and was a little bit more, I am who I am, and I'm just going to do what's best for me and screw everyone else kind of thing, I guess. I don't know. I think he said something about after Shepard died, they just wanted to sweep everything under the rug as well. Yeah, I think it was more Mass Effect 2 that you kind of see more of his personality come out and you get more. I, I felt I got more of a connection with him in Mass Effect 2 than I did in 1. Like I, I think... said, a lot of that though was just because he has so much more dialogue. Because, like we said, in Mass Effect 1, aside from the four main planets, all like there's no real new dialogue if you just physically go talk to him like yeah he'll say stuff in cutscenes but if you physically go talk to him he has nothing new to say after the first time you talk to him but what he does say in cutscenes though is is quite good 20 meters no way we can make a drop in there we have to try find another landing zone there is no other landing zone the descent angle's too steep it's our only option it's not an option. It's a suicide run. We don't... I can do it. Joker? I can do it. Gear up and head down to the Mako. Joker! You kind of believe him. that You know, you got presses saying, oh, you, you know, you need 100 yards of open terrain. And he's like, I can do it. And you're like, yeah, okay. I believe you. See, and I guess that just shows, too, like, the duality of his character. Because, like, when he's serious... Like, he almost scares me. But at the same time, he can also just be, like, a goofy dork. I always feel like, to me, that was a really determined moment. Like, uh, trust me. Like, you, you've you've done this many missions with me at this point. You should trust me. I can do it. But I think the, the, the biggest shame is you don't have enough conversations with him in the first game. I think it's the first game's got its moments with him, but... I don't think they realized really what they could do with him until the second game. Yeah. I will say, I think after his heroics on Ilos, like you just said, and especially after his comment at the very beginning of the game about remembering to zip up your jumpsuit when you leave the bathroom, I think Bioware missed a glorious opportunity to have like a random cutscene in like Mass Effect 3 where Joker does accidentally like pee his pants or something, and then you can like bring that up again. <laughs> pisses me off calling this the cockpit. Alliance ships have bridges. Asari have cockpits. Oh, wait, no, they don't. A lot of his off-the-cuff stuff was just Seth Green improvising. And I don't know exactly how much it was, but I'm, I'm assuming a lot of it was, and most of it is quite memorable. Yeah, it was mostly Mass Effect 3, I think it was. Um, but when I... Because he did a stream with his wife... And there was there's only a few of us in there because they set it set it at the wrong settings. So I I popped a thing in the chat, and as he was looking through the chat, he answered my question. And the the question was, did you? Because I was under the impression that he had improvised all of his lines, and he had been given free reign to to go as he wanted. And he said, no, that wasn't true. That he had the script, but the the cabin 
chats, as he called them, where you just walk on and they're chatting amongst themselves or the chatting where it, you don't go into a cutscene where it's just banter, basically. Said so any of those, he was allowed to, to go free reign with. So they're all his, just he's what he's done. But anything that was cut screen, cut scenes on that, he was, uh, he had script for. So would that have like included like the one part in Mass Effect Three where you go into Liara's room, and he's bugging her, asking her if she can wiggle her head tentacles? Yeah, yeah, that would have been. <laughs> I mean, this almost could have been an episode strictly based on like top five Joker quotes because he's got so many amazing one-liners. Do you think maybe he improvised some really fun stuff and they thought we could do something with this with the whole crew? I mean, probably. I mean, because there are, even if you just do the missions and don't really talk to anyone, you still have to walk around the Normandy quite a bit. And Seth Green's a very, like, outgoing, open person. So I feel like he probably pitched more than a few things. I was on the impression it was just Seth Green. So I assumed he had done something that that uh, the caught his eye, caught the director's eye. I probably should have asked, like... Well, I mean, he's just genuinely yeah. hilarious. And, I mean, like, if you've ever watched Robot Chicken, like, he can turn, like, the stupidest things into some of the funniest things you've ever seen. So, like, it would shock me if he hadn't pitched at least a couple things that the devs had never even thought of and were like, yeah, you know what, that works. Yeah, I I do think just the the stuff you hear around the ship is like the best start, best part about the third game, especially the stuff with Javik. When especially when James is James and him are in the kitchen, and James is trying to get him to tell jokes. I'm like that stuff just like makes the game. It makes me want to hang out on the ship more than I do. Actually, you know what? Do you guys remember how you first reacted when? Um... When when you do realize that the joke is like the first person who's with you, when you know when when you're brought back from the dead, do you remember your reaction when you when you found out that Joker was going to be with you? I was at first I was a little bit shocked. I'm like, wow, why is Joker here? But then after he explained what the Alliance did and how they tried to cover everything up and wouldn't let them fly a ship anymore, I was like, yeah, okay, now I get why joining Cerberus made sense for you and then like i love his random offhand comment about how the alliance didn't have leather seats or something so he's like i would have done it anyway yeah i was uh because the, the the opening scene where you you save his life and he's determined he's going to go down with the ship and you know he's not leaving the normandy and it's his baby and basically throw him into the into the escape pod you're like that moment i think cemented that you know he was part of my crew and you know made sure he's got out alive and then to see him walk out there and you're like oh awesome you know you're alive you know you're gonna be the pilot again and then of course they introduced the normandy which is bigger and better and shinier and and they're like yeah this is gonna be all right this we've got the you know the best pilot the best ship now i need to go around and find all my old crew and yeah we'll carry on just as we did before i was just going to say with, with what we were saying about how rebellious he is as well how much he doesn't didn't care for the council as well like it just made perfect sense yeah and i was just going to mention like 
it fits in with his rebellious nature and like you said he didn't trust the council and everything and it did evolve quite a bit in the third game but in the second game how did you feel about his interactions with Edie? it was lovely i liked i liked him and Edie. i mean you could there's such a massive arc there you you go from uh mass effect 2 where that they're constantly bickering and Edie goes yeah, he doesn't like me being installed on his ship. And, he, you know, he's snapping back and he's like, oh, I preferred it when the Normandy was quiet and doesn't keep reminding me, he's like, you've left the airlock ajar. It was things like that. And then to go from that to their mutual respect for each other and and then to some kind of romance further down, it, you know, it is a beautiful arc that he has got with uh, with his ship i suppose <laughs> well and especially because it works both ways because then especially in the third game because obviously then Edie has a body and then some of the conversations you can have with Edie on the citadel where she's asking you for relationship advice are genuinely hilarious just because of how much she doesn't understand or know and then you can have a conversation in uh, the bar with Joker, and he'll ask you about it, and it's just—it almost—it's just like it feels wholesome. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. In in hindsight, I think it goes a long way to what they tried to do at the end of three as well. They're really trying to, and I know I know you won't agree with this, Tim, but they're really trying to sell the idea of um, synthetic life being evolved into something that's like just as normal as organic just as alive as organic and having their relationship develop over mass effect 2 kind of goes a long way to you know show how when you spend enough time with anyone if they're synthetic or organic you'll get to like them mm. just because she does have a personality even when she's a ship all right here's the million dollar question though tim in Mass Effect 2, after the Collector attack, when you're interviewing Joker with Miranda and Jacob, and Miranda says something about, don't even get me started on unshackling an AI, and Edie's like, I wouldn't have done anything. You're not just my crew, you're my friends, or whatever she says. Do you ever pick the option where it's like, you're not part of the crew, you're just a machine? Uh, I don't think I have. There we go, Craig. I think we're finally starting to turn him. <laughs> there is hope yeah like you said it's nice to see Joker I don't know how a relationship with him and Edie would actually work but it's nice to see him actually be happy and especially after I mean I don't think the game ever actually addresses what happened to his dad but you obviously we've covered what happens to his sister and how stupid it is that you can't tell him yeah but it it almost seems fitting that the person he understands or who understands him the best is his ship because you know flying is is his life really because from everything we know about his backstory and everything you know he's he's fought so hard to be a pilot like it just feels right that his ultimate partner is a ship i think we can call it a win because we got tim to admit that he's not addicted to Edie. the joker says you know Oh, what happened? Oh, Joker went and plugged in the Overlord. I mean, it's still a risk. That would be the greatest thing in the world 
if you could bring Joker on the Shadow Broker mission, and then when the Shadow Broker does his famous, you you travel with in, interesting companions, Doctor, and then he could have been like, thank you for bringing me Mr. Moreau. I had to spend all day computing Pi because he plugged in the Overlord. <laughs> Tell you what though that was that was another big step in making his character better though just making that one mission just about him you know you control him and it becomes a big moment in him trusting Edie. would you really call that trusting her though because i mean like if she'd wanted to kill him then no matter what he picked he was going to die anyway Oh, yeah, okay. But, like, he... It's a big moment for him growing to trust her because she didn't do that. Yeah, and she he didn't trust her up until that point. Remember, she was a spy on his ship and he was more than capable of, of handling the Normandy without her help. And so, yeah, that's kind of a turning point in their relationship, isn't it? I think you're taking the human-machine interface a little far. I'm just having a little fun with you, Commander. No need to get all unnatural on me. What Jeff and I are exhibiting is more a platonic symbiosis than hormonally induced courtship behavior. Okay, yeah, that was a little creepy. And just being able to play as him is a big deal as well. I think it's a really it's a really clever way to put the player in a vulnerable position and make that moment a little bit more terrifying. It is pretty tense, but I will say I think the pacing of it is a little weird. Because if you noticed, if you do it too fast, there's a part where you'll die no matter what you have to... There's one spot in particular where you have to physically stop to wait for a collector to walk by, then go. I mean, I'm just saying it's funny that the quote-unquote crippled person who limps everywhere can actually do something too fast. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of strange to think about, actually. So Thessia, huh? I guess the Asari are wishing they had fewer dancers and more commandos right about now. Too soon? You're a damn good pilot, Joker, and I put up with a lot because of that. But we are in the middle of a war. You see this? Tiptree. Little colony out in the ass end of nowhere. My dad lives there. So does my sister. Reapers rolled in about two weeks ago. So you can assume that I'm generally aware there's a war on Commander. So why the jokes? Because Edie says that according to your armor's metabolic scans, you're under more stress now than during the Skillian Blitz. Like, more than a coup's, where Thresher Maws ate the rest of your squad. And the last time I had a briefing with Anderson, he told me to take care of you. The guy leading the resistance on Earth is worried about you, and I'm supposed to help. When I want a damn pep talk, I'll ask for one. Otherwise, you're my pilot, not my therapist. Are we clear? And I, th I like to... Yes, that. Commander. I don't know if you can really even call it good or bad, but I like how when he confronts you and said that Anderson had been asking him to keep an eye on Shepard, and he goes on like his long spiel about how he's like everything, like you can't like let us let people help you, and then you can either be agree with them or tell them to like screw off, and then depending on how you handle that conversation and a few others at the very end, he either shakes your hand or just salutes you. I thought that was subtle but interesting too. Did he shake your hand or did he salute? He saluted me. Oh, Manny. 
I, I the, the first time playing through three when he uh, he cracks a joke at the, the 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 most inappropriate time. I I got cross with him, and then I was really cross with myself that I didn't have the option to apologize. I think I'd missed a conversation somewhere, and I I, I can remember my shepherd, you know, just. He was, you know, obviously feeling the pressure of everything, and just went off at him. And you get one ent- one opportunity to say sorry to him or apologize. And if you pick the wrong dialogue, you don't you don't get the hand. I think it's the handshake that you get. To be fair, I kind of first of all, I mean, like the joke was completely in character for him as a character, but I kind of didn't like that. Obviously, you can be a dick, and the renegade option is way worse. But even if you pick the paragon option, you're still pretty mean to him. Like, there should have been an option where you're like, okay, Joker, haha, but now's not really the time. But the only two options you do get are both kind of mean to him. I do think it's just a flaw in general that in Mass Effect 3, you only get uh, two dialogue options. You don't usually get a middle one. Yeah, I mean, I just, but that's that situation specifically. I mean, like, because first of all, the joke didn't bother me. But even if I was like feeling pressure and pissed off that Kai Lang just kicked my ass and stole the VI, I could still be like, okay, that's just Joker being Joker, personally. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'm the weird one. No, I get that. I do think it's really nice, though, in that moment. Like, it just. It does show not only how Anderson cares about Shepard, but that Joker cares about him too. I guess Joker and Shepard have an interesting relationship, but I think for the most part, it's more good than bad. I do think ultimately, I I can't remember if it was you or Tim who said it, but like the fact that the trilogy ends as it begins. As it, as, it, as it began, you know, with Joker, it just, it does feel, feel kind of like a perfect ending. That must have been Tim, but yeah, I'll agree with that. Although I still would have liked a, at least a little bit more information on what that planet was that the ship crashes on after you pick your color. If you have any comments or questions or ideas about future episodes, feel free to email us at the LPcast at outlook.com that's the lp cast at outlook.com tim if anyone would like to find you where can they find you uh twitter at floppy 54 or the youtube page floppy 54 gaming and manning where can they find you you can find me on twitter at that cerberus guy or on anything else with the same name and you can find me on twitter with the Twitter handle at Craig and his Mac. Sorry. Twitter handle. <laughs> well, there was the um, Atlas. That's not really like a, a vehicle, though. What would you call it then? It literally, well, I mean, I guess, yes, it's a mech, I guess, but it literally walks slower than you do. Like, you wouldn't take, like, you wouldn't say, I'm going to go to the corner to get a coffee and a donut, and then I'm, I'm, I'll take the Atlas. I mean, you would take, like, a proper vehicle. Oh. <laughs>
You wouldn't be saying, I'm going to get a coffee and a donut and take the maker either. You end up on the roof. Can I imagine a Cerberus soldier just showing up to the store in his mech? <laughs> to be fair, I'm pretty sure because the Mako has wheels and not treads, it would actually be street legal. Although you'd probably have to take the gun off. I mean, I've seen like um, the elderly drive like their scooters in the road. So, why not just drive a mech, you know? Well, you gotta come to where I'm from in the US, people drive their lawnmowers to the grocery store. I'll tell you what, if, if, if mechs were actually a thing, I would go in, I would use one for transportation if I was old. Because I'm gonna be slow anyway, and I've also got, you know, the extra protection. Only if it's a cool robot like the mech, I can never remember his name, but the mech in Titanfall 2. <laughs> I was just listening to you talk and I was thinking, should I be capturing this? <laughs> probably. <laughs> it was the uh, the banana comment we should have probably captured for the uh, for the outtakes. <laughs>